Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Well, this evening after worship, we're having a dinner party. Luke chapter 14 is about a dinner party, so I thought I would speak about dinner parties tonight. Uh, You may know the name Emily Post. Emily Post was a socialite uh, who rose to prominence in Baltimore, though originally she was from the vineyard. Yes, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, She was known as the first lady of American etiquette, and she wrote a book entitled How to Throw a Party. Post was very, very specific about party rules. Her seating charts showed where the guests of honor ought to go, and who's seated next to whom was extremely important. Post wrote, and I quote, silly people should not be put anywhere near learned people, nor the dull near the clever, unless the dull person is a young and pretty woman with a talent for listening, and the clever one is a man with an admiration for beauty and talking. Insulting in so many ways, so many ways. Well, Emily Post sums it up this way. The requisites for a perfect formal dinner are guests who are congenial, servants who are competent, a lovely table setting, food that is perfectly prepared, a cordial and hospitable host and a charming hostess. Fascinating read. Jesus never read her book. Uh, Jesus loved unconventional parties and would often attend conventional parties in order to make them unconventional parties. Uh, I want to speak about Luke 14, but the only way to do that is to fill in the gaps, uh, a little context. Uh, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. He was invited to a party, and he attended the party. Pharisees, as you probably know, were a tad fastidious at times, had a lot of opinions about a lot of things, a lot of convictions, but even they liked parties. Uh, But they were having this particular party on a Sabbath day, which meant it was a highly ritualized party, very uh, religiously structured and organized. And in the midst of this party, uh, there was a crippled person. And Jesus interrupts the liturgy of the evening in the party to heal the person. And this causes an immediate controversy that Jesus would, would break Sabbath in order to work, to labor, to heal somebody and cause them to recover. So Jesus is sitting at this party, and at this party, uses the occasion of a party to teach two things about parties. And these are the two things that he teaches uh, about parties. How to attend a party, and how to host a party. So I'm going to speak to you tonight about these party matters. First, how to attend a party. That's the first portion of the passage, at least from verses 7 through 11. I'd like you to follow along with me. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to read verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. I'll stop there. Just a very brief side note, I want you to notice that Jesus describes 
this type of party. It's not just any party. It's a wedding feast. I only mention that because the wedding feast is one of the primary motifs in the prophetic literature of the Old Testament, which is a way of referring to the day of the Lord when everything is reconciled, when Yahweh and his divorce partner Israel come back together, when everything is mended, everything is made new. The same imagery comes back in the end of Revelation, where we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. That kind of marital language is more than just a marriage usually in Scripture. It's about um, something apocalyptic, the great coming together of strands. Anyway, that's the side note. Now, uh, now moving on, uh, Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. Uh, Jesus is among his hosts, and his hosts have a reputation. The Pharisees have a party reputation, and their party reputation is that their parties are always carefully curated, very carefully curated, not just in terms of a guest list, but in terms of where the guests are seated. It's political, uh, especially the seating arrangements. In the first century, certainly now too, but especially then in an honor-shame culture, uh, parties were a special opportunity for social mobility, for networking, for making connections uh, that would propel you to a new place of advantage. If you managed a party well, you would rise the ranks. And if you rose high enough, you would be awarded with one of the most beneficial seats in the house at the head table. Sitting, for example, to the right or to the left of a great teacher was seen as a, a thing of great honor. This is why James and John, uh, the apostles known as the sons of thunder, got their mother to talk to Jesus in a rather triangulated way uh, about their future prominent places in his own empire. And she said, wouldn't it be nice if my son, well, that was from the Beach Boys, wouldn't it be nice if my sons, who are so sweet and so wonderful and so obedient and so uh, and so perfect, I mean, I raised them after all, would sit at your right hand and at your left. And Jesus, uh, in a very Jesus way, sort of blows off the question. But, um, but that, those places of prominence were very, very important. And the Pharisees noted this in their parties, and Jesus corrected it again and again. In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel, in chapter 11, Jesus says this to the Pharisees in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and being greeted in the marketplace. Um, Pharisees were a troubled group for many reasons, uh, but one of the reasons that Jesus kept coming back to in terms of his own public critique was that they loved their public image a little too much, or a lot too much. They loved their public image, they loved titles. They loved being called rabbi, you know, teacher. They loved making lofty prayers. They loved wearing designer clothing. They loved uh, showing off their charity. And Jesus saw beyond all of the religious expression right into the heart. That's the most dangerous thing about Jesus, you know. He sees right through all the pretense that we don and goes right to the rag and bone shop of the heart. And the law lands there. The critique lands there. And he said, your motives are sacrilegious. Your actions might pass the test, but your motives are horrific. He says that they always did these kind of things to be seen, to be seen, to be adored, to be worshipped, to shore up their fragile egos and to hide 
their self-orientation, their self-righteousness in a guise of virtue and purity. This is why Jesus calls them pretty coffins, right? Whited sepulchers. You look beautiful and majestic on the outside, but on the inside, you're nothing but a corpse rotting away. Jesus' strong critique of this movement. And here he witnesses this at a dinner party where people are vying for the best spots so that they get the public honor. Uh, By contrast, I want you to note what Jesus taught his own apprentices, his own apostles. He said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, be sneaky. Don't let anybody know. You have an audience of one, the eternal eyes of heaven. It's all for God, after all. Uh, And Jesus brings back that secretive etiquette for party attendees. This is what he essentially is saying to the party attendees. Keep a low profile. Beware your ambition. Don't scan the room to see how you can use the room. The room does not exist for you to use it for anything. Instead, ignore the cushioned seats and the well-lit areas. Sit down in the creaky wooden chairs that they had to bring out of the basement. Sit in the dimly lit area, the place where all the untouchables gather. Attend parties in that way in order to defy the world. To defy the world's egotistical drive for advancement and self-promotion. By the way, there's an even deeper theological insight buried in Jesus' party etiquette for attendees. And it's this, if I could summarize it. We are all the same. We're all the same in this room. Whatever your story is, whatever your skin color looks like, whether you come from Brazil or Ohio, it's all, we're all the same. Because deep down, we are infinitely troubled and infinitely loved. We're all the same. Uh, And therefore, whether you sit in the most elevated seat at the head table, or you're the drunk outside who fell asleep on the steps, the ontology is the same. This is Romans 3, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. That's me in my handsome getup, and it's you, and you're, you know, Lack of handsome. Well, no, you have your own way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. We're all the same. And therefore, we don't need to seek self-elevation if we know who we are and we know whose we are. Um, Because what are we? We are renegades defined by sacrificial grace. There's a wonderful scene, by the way, in Brideshead Revisited, which is uh, about um, wealthy people, Roman Catholics in England, and, and, but they're deeply troubled. But there's this one scene in which this priest comes to the house, this opulent house where everything is gilded and in marble, everything's Rococo, and the Catholic priest just walks through it completely unimpressed. Doesn't matter to him at all. The only thing that matters to him are the people inside it. That's the kind of vision that Jesus has here. And Jesus is saying, look, if you happen to get a social promotion at a party, let it come from the outside. Don't try to self-engineer it. Let somebody else do that for you. That's the posture of humility. Tim Keller defined humility in a beautiful way. Tim Keller says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so that's how to attend a party. Seek out the low place, because who cares? because we're all the same, because we are not better. 
and we are not worse. Yeah. And then Jesus talks about how to host a party. And this is uh, verses 12 through 14, and I'll read all of this. How to host a party. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, so to the host of the party, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Don't you think that's gorgeous? Don't encourage reciprocity. Don't you ever feel that way when somebody gets you a gift that you didn't think you deserved? And you're thinking, well, okay, when's their birthday? What can I get them for Christmas? I at least need to write them a one-page handwritten cursive thank you note to express how their gift has changed my life forever. But something, I can't just let this pass. What Jesus is saying, don't expect the notes. You're not going to get an invitation with raised print ever from these people. Those are the people you ought to invite to your, to your parties. Invite the financially devastated, the, the handicapped, those who are often ignored because they are not tokens, because they grant you no financial nor social capital, and they never will. Keep an eye on those people, those kingdom people, the people that your peripheral vision somehow passes by time after time. Those are the people to stare at. Those are the people to invite. By the way, everybody um, has people in their peripheral vision that they don't see, often deliberately. Everyone has a couple casts of outsiders, uh, people who are not useful in terms of financial or social capital. It's funny, I I sometimes uh, uh, see signs in front of uh, uh, often progressive churches that are kind of oddly aggressive, and this is my favorite. This is my favorite. I love it. I I don't, but I love it. At this, this is what it says, at this church, all, capital A-L-L, all are welcome. And then it says, colon, all means all. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm a little scared. (laughs) But here's the thing. I don't buy it for a second. I don't buy it for a second. I think it's fraudulent. I mean, you should show up in a MAGA hat and see how included you are. Or a t-shirt that says, I regret my abortion. Or I'm unsure about canceling student debt. Like, just, just try it and see how many friends that wins you. But I'm not just busting on those churches. All of us, every single person in this room, every Christian who's ever existed, every non-Christian who's ever existed, regardless of your little political interests, I don't care, it's the same. We all have people in our peripheral vision. We all have our outsiders, people whom we ignore, people who aren't useful, people from whom we dart our vision. We don't look at them, we look away. Uh, Whether it's maybe a sibling with mental health issues, or a spouse who is endlessly insecure and you're tired of shoring them up, a local family who sends their kids to the public school or who maybe homeschools, hyper-educated snobs, uneducated slouches, assertive men, assertive women, smokers, gamers, leftists, libertarians, people who own five meticulously detailed clean cars, or someone who has one car with 15 empty McRib boxes in the back seat. (laughs) Is it the hyper-opinionated, or people that have no convictions whatsoever? Or, to put it closer to home, is it someone you despise merely deep down, because they remind you of you and all of your faults that you wish to hide from. 
Jesus says, you want the kingdom of God? Have a party for those people. Invite them. Invite the people who have nothing to give you, the people from whom you would hide your faces. Invite them that have nothing, and you'll see the kingdom in your midst. Be a host. Be a host who is so secure in God that you don't need any payback at all, because then you're free. By the way, that's beautifully true. If you stop caring about who gets credit for things, it's amazing what you can get done in life. So Jesus, while at a party, taught about what it means to attend and host parties. For Jesus, parties can preach. Parties themselves can preach. When Jesus attended parties, those parties preached. His party involvement was frequent, and his party antics were legendary, and people hated him because of it. This is why Jesus was often besmirched as a drunk and a glutton, even though he wasn't. Jesus used parties to befriend renegades and needy people and weirdos. He let women douse him with $3,000 cologne and shower his feet with contritional tears. At parties, Jesus would heal deformed people on no-work Sabbath days. And at other parties, Jesus openly forgave the sins of people who did gross things in bedrooms. He used parties to preach that the grace of God arrives inconveniently in the dining room for all the world's untouchables, and that includes you. And when Jesus hosted parties, those parties preached. You may know that the last thing Jesus did before he went to his cross was host a dinner party, in which he took the lowest seat at the feast, fulfilling his own exhortation in this passage, where he crouched down on the ground, wrapped himself in a slave's towel, and washed the nasty feet of his ambivalent apostles. And then he served the main course, an unconventional option on any menu, and then he took bread and wine and said, this is my body and this is my blood given for you. His message was simple. The kingdom of God occurs when the Son of God offers his flesh and pH measurable blood for the world's schemers and scammers and sinners, for all of the untouchables, all of those who cannot ever repay. They're all loved. They're all forgiven. And that means you. Close with a story that will hopefully land this for us in terms of ecclesiastical or churchy experience. My old uh, sociology professor and pastor, uh, Tony Campolo, uh, once had a speaking engagement in Hawaii. Uh, He couldn't sleep. It was 3 a.m., and he decided, being a good Italian, that he was hungry and food would solve the problem. So he wandered the streets looking for a diner. Uh, Everything was closed except for a grungy dive in an alley. He entered, he smelled the grease in the air and knew he was home. Sat down at a counter where a tubby guy with a name tag that said Harry approached him and asked, what do you want? Well, Tony was afraid of everything in the diner except donuts behind a glass case, so he ordered a donut and black coffee. And he sat there, half out of it, at 3 a.m., munching on the donut, and just then, in walked eight provocatively dressed, very loud prostitutes. One of them sat next to Tony, and her friend sat next to her. Um, And this woman said to her friend, I nearly forgot something, but you know what? Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm gonna be really old. I'm gonna be 39. (laughs) To which her friend nastily replied, so what? What do you want from me? Do you want a party? Do you want a cake? Do you want us to all sing to you and make you feel special inside? She responded, sadly and curtly, no, I'm just saying it's my birthday, I don't want anything. 
I've never had a birthday party. I don't see why I should get one now. Well, Tony waited until all of the women left, and then he asked Harry, the waiter, do these girls come in here every night, including the one that was just talking about her birthday? And the guy said, yeah, that's Laura. She's here every single night and has been for the last three years. Why? Well, said Tony, do you think maybe we could throw her a birthday party at the diner? And the guy smiled and said, yeah, yeah, I like that idea. So Tony said he would be back at 2.30 a.m. the next morning with some decorations, and the man at the counter insisted that he would be the one to make the cake, which made Tony scared, but <laughs> couldn't turn it down. At 2.30 the next morning, Tony returned, and he brought all of these decorations and a sign made of big pieces of cardboard that said, Happy Birthday, Laura. The word got out, and by 3 a.m., every prostitute in Honolulu was in the diner. <laughs> at 3.30 on the dot, the door swung open, and in walked Laura and all of her friends, and everyone immediately screamed, Happy Birthday, Laura! And she was utterly undone fell to her knees when she saw the cake. Her mouth fell open, and she started to sob deeply into her hands. She pulled herself together, blew out the candles, and abruptly said, I don't know what to do. I've never seen anything so beautiful. Is it all right if we don't eat it? <laughs> and Harry said, I guess. Yeah, what do you want to do? She said, well, I live like a block away. I want to take it home and show my mom. And he said, oh, it's your birthday. So... Laura takes the cake, holds it like it's the Holy Grail, and walks out of the diner. Everybody is just standing there in awkward silence. And in that silence, Tony stood up on a chair and said, how about we pray for her? And there in a greasy diner at 3 a.m., they all prayed. And Tony asked God to change Laura's life and to be really good to her. When he finished, Harry said gruffly to Tony, hey, you never told me you were that kind of preacher or a preacher at all. What kind of church do you belong to? Tony answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for hookers at three in the morning. <laughs> Harry said mockingly, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because there is no church like that. If there were a church like that, I'd go to it. And Tony responded, well, that's the kind of church that Jesus Christ came to create. My friends, to be a Christian means to oppose the world. And what it means to oppose the world is to disobey it in all of its party rules of self-promotion and preening and posing and self-curating and ambition, quite literally, to hell with all of it. Instead, take as your model the party in Christ who turns the world upside down, or better, right side up. For blessed be the partiers in the kingdom of God. Amen.